work of God traveling across the country together. And I found uh, Cleveland Becton to be a man of sincerity, a man of dedication, and a very humble man. I don't know that I have found anyone any more consistent than Brother Becton in his walk with God. This man, the reason he preaches with such anointing of the Spirit upon his heart is because he has his regular prayer time early every morning waiting upon God. And I've told him so much here of late, Brother Becton, God has raised you up to be a powerful voice for the United Pentecostal Church in these last days. And I really believe that. Amen. What a blessing he's been to me personally. What a blessing he's been to this movement. Man of great ability and a lot of talent. And a wonderful preacher, but a great man of God. And I'm happy to introduce my good friend tonight. He preached in our church several months ago, and I've heard him preach many times, and he just blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And then when he got through preaching, he did something I have never seen before. And I've seen a lot of things in Pentecost, believe me. He got down off of that platform and got down in the altar area. The Spirit of God was moving upon him so strong that he lay right down in that floor and began to roll. Now, if you can imagine a dignified-looking person like Brother Cleveland Becton rolling on the floor, Brother, you're going to say, that's God. <laughs> and folks began to see that, and I watched them as that congregation broke down in tears and began to weep and began to rejoice and the power of God began to fall and people began to be healed and saved and all because a man of God after he preached the word of the Lord the spirit moved upon him and and they uh, they just couldn't believe that a man of his caliber and dignity would do that I didn't much believe in holy rolling until then but if Cleveland Becton does it, I believe in it. <laughs> Amen. Come on, my good friend. God bless Brother Becton. I want him to preach to me tonight. I'm hungry for the Word of God. I believe the Lord's going to use this man tonight to bless all of our hearts. What an introduction. He has told you some things about me that you probably wouldn't have known otherwise. But I tell you what, you and the Lord have created an atmosphere in this place throughout these services and up to this point tonight until I almost feel like doing it again.
I'm just looking around to see if there's enough room. In prayer today, as my family met with me and, and my son who assists me fell over on me and he laid his hands, my son-in-law. I prayed a prayer like this, not where they could hear it, but I've often prayed it. Lord, let me act perfectly ridiculous in the service tonight. Well, you've never heard anybody pray that kind of a prayer, I'm sure. But that's exactly what I would like to do. Because my frame, five foot ten, 155 pounds, cannot possibly contain within itself all that I feel in the spirit. So sometimes we just have to just let go. I feel like that we're letting go in this service tonight. Hallelujah. And I'm going to let you be seated and I'm not long-winded. You may be seated. I do want to pay my respect to the pulpit committee and those who had a part in selecting the speakers. I did not want to do this from the human standpoint. And I want to pay honor to this great group of ministers executives and board members, my general superintendent, and my good friend, Brother James Kilgore, Brother McFarlane, and to all of you who are making this one of the greatest conferences that we've ever enjoyed. What a spirit of unity that we feel. Now, I could say a lot of things tonight in my preliminary remarks but time marches on and I feel a message on my heart and I feel what I'm going to preach tonight is the message that I should preach because Satan Paul said we're not ignorant concerning his devices Satan has battled me all this day. In fact, just before getting up to this pulpit, I wondered if I would be able to even speak. I trust that the rasp in my voice and the throat condition that Satan has inflicted upon me because he doesn't want the message that I preach to be heard. 
I trust that God will override and he will I claim it in the name of Jesus praise God I wish I could say as my good friend Brother Whalen did last year that I had kept this message for this conference because I'm going to have to say to those of you who have heard it that I don't feel badly that you've heard it I just want you to know that I know but I must preach it I must preach it in the last two to almost three years my ministry has taken a turn in the road I surprise myself I am amazed at the feelings that rise within me nothing against individuals nor personalities but what I see is happening and can happen and will happen I come from a great state of Tennessee and I want to say it is a great state my district superintendent is sitting on this platform and whatever you might have heard about the district of Tennessee that might have made you feel some bad feelings I want you to know that it's all in the minority that in the beautiful state from the east to the west and the north to the south is a group of hungry hungry people just as hungry as you are and just as determined as you are to make heaven their home that's Tennessee praise God loving God loving holiness loving the message of truth praise God I can say that truthfully and I want you to know that so whatever I might say tonight has nothing to do with an area nor with an individual but it is the message that I feel on my heart and I preach very briefly I trust and I want you to stay with me because every word you must hear I'm reading just two verses out of a beautiful story that you will immediately recognize Luke the 10th chapter the 34th and 35th verses and went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him 
And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. There is a four-word statement in each one of these verses. The first one said, speaking of the Good Samaritan and of course representative of the Lord took care of him and the second verse represents the innkeeper who represents all of the ministry take care of him the Lord did his part, we're to continue doing ours because the instructions is not finished, just says take care of him. Luke 18 and 8 says, nevertheless when the Son of Man cometh shall he find faith on the earth. I appreciate every message that has been preached in this conference from the beginning night through the days. Our great general superintendent's message yesterday, our assistant general superintendent's message on youth day, the great message each, messages each night. And now will you give me a portion of your time because I'm going to preach. Will you bow with me in just a moment of prayer? Kind Lord, we thank you for your presence that we feel. Now anoint and bless the word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll bring me that glass of water. I want to tell you how this message came to me. Uh, I don't have too many hobbies. I don't do too many things extracurricular. But I have a small collection of porcelain bird figurines. Not many, but different ones, different kinds. One day, I was standing in the public library in the city of Nashville in front of the section of books that had to do with birds since my interest was in that direction. I took out a book from the shelf that had caught my attention and it was a rather small book but I began to read it in portions of it as I stood there in the aisleways between the shelves. This little book had to do with a bird that was on the endangered species list. It is called the whooping crane. On the page of dedication, as most most authors write and have in their books. This 
brief statement was made that has changed the course of my ministry. For those generations yet unborn, we are obligated to save our endangered species from extinction. For those generations yet unborn, I'm going to preach to you tonight. I'm entitling my message, I am pledged to the preservation of the endangered species. Now just briefly in my introductory remarks, there are some birds that you and I will never see. Those that have to do with history tells us that the Labrador duck became extinct in 1878. The passenger pigeon became extinct in 1914. The auk, a type of bird, became extinct in 1844. And since 1600, there have been 36 species of mammals and 94 species of birds that have vanished. Since 1900, an average of one species per year has vanished from off of the face of the earth. Someone has said, relative to the extinction of a species, there is a death quite different from the death of an individual. It has a different finality. This extinction of something that will never in all eternity be duplicated is an occurrence that seems to break a strand of time itself. The whooping crane, sometimes referred to as the whooper, is striking in its appearance. The description of it is on this wise. It's snow white, garnished with a splash of crimson across the forehead and cheeks and the adult male stands four feet high. It's the tallest bird in North America. In flight, its black wingtips contrast sharply with a white body. It has a long, sinuous neck and a thrilling trumpet-like voice. In 1939, there were only 14 by 1966, there were 50. And today, there are at least 114 in existence because a man by the name of Robert Allen of the National Audubon Society dedicated his life and actually gave his life to save this particular bird. Now listen to his statement because I want to refer to it later on. He stated that the catalog of dangers to the whooping crane is, of course, simply a selection from the catalog of what are called the pressures of our changing times. The pressures of our changing times. The American Ornithologist Union, which have to do with birds, passed the following resolution 
whereas the whooping crane, one of the most remarkable and spectacular birds of North America, is in imminent danger of extinction. Be it resolved that the Department of Interior and the Congress of the United States provide funds for a full investigation of all methods whereby this bird may be saved. Now you know I'm not preaching about whooping cranes tonight. But out of the Bible and out of the Old Testament there's a verse of scripture that you'll find located in Jeremiah. The twelfth chapter and the ninth verse says, Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Can you say, Praise the Lord? This great speckled bird, and remember it has snow white plumage garnished with a splash of crimson across the forehead and the cheeks. This great speckled bird that I'm going to preach about tonight was born on the day of Pentecost. And the reason why it is speckled for a long while I couldn't understand this because the scripture says something about without spot or blemish or blameless. But the reason why this bird is speckled, it's not a spot, it's not a blemish, but speckled means to mark with spots of a color different from that of the thing itself. Its color is snow white, but it has a splash of crimson across the forehead and the cheeks. For this bird came into existence on the day of Pentecost because 50 days prior there was a splashing of blood the color of bright red. Hallelujah! And as I look out over this audience tonight, I see the speckled bird with its white plumage, but then the crimson, the crimson blood that has never lost its power. Hallelujah! That is splashed across our forehead and upon our cheeks. On the day of Pentecost, this great speckled bird was born with a thrilling and a trumpet-like voice. Oh yes, for Acts the second chapter says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. When that little old bird threw back its long neck with a splash of crimson across its forehead and on its cheeks, it let out a sound that was so loud 
and so thrilling that it filled all of the city of Jerusalem. It was a thrilling and a trumpet-like voice. And they came from every corner of that city to see these birds hatching out of their shells. And when they hatched out, they had to get a little bit acclimated to the new thing and they were acting rather strangely they were wobbling and falling and getting up again and moving and hollering and falling and shouting until those who came said, Why, well, these are just drunk people. I wonder if someone would step into our conference if there ever has been a statement made, Why, well, these are just drunk people. That's the reason why I prayed like I prayed. Oh, God. I've never been drunk on an alcoholic beverage. I've never had the taste of it to my mouth. But oh God, let me, let me tonight and any time you want me to, let the Spirit so flow until if I wobble, if I weave, if I run, if I roll, somebody will say, that man's drunk. Amen. But not drunk on an intoxicating beverage, but drunk because I have pecked out of a shell. My plumage is white. And the crimson flow is across my forehead and splashing on my cheeks. That makes me what the Bible calls a speckled bird. Not one that has spots and blemishes, but one that's intentionally colored with white and red. And I want a voice that's thrilling and trumpet sounding. For Isaiah said, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice, hallelujah. hallelujah. Praise God. Its birth caused quite a stir. Started out with great numbers, 120, 3,000, 5,000, and daily the number increased, exciting, oh so powerful. The name Jesus was the power tool. It was no accident that Brother Urshan sang that beautiful chorus tonight. It thrilled me. The Holy Ghost anointing and the gifts of the Spirit was all in action. 
moving, pulsating, increasing until, as you know, the history in about 325 A.D., it became on the threatened species list. Now, the difference is the threatened species and the endangered species, the threatened species is one that's likely to become endangered. For as you well know, it united with the state and the name was watered down and neutralized and the church went into the dark ages. But it never became extinct. Never. It might have had to hide out in some cave. It had to meet behind closed doors. It had to go into the catacombs to even squeak out a praise. But somewhere there was always some in existence. Hallelujah. Though it became on the threatened species list, it was always around somewhere until just at the turn of the century, it began to come out of its caves. This century, it began to come out of its catacombs. It began to come out of its hiding places. It made a terrific comeback. And it began to multiply again and again. And some think the revelation of the name didn't come until years after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost but there were those that were baptized in the name in the year 1901 brother Goss was baptized in 1903 at a worldwide camp meeting in Aurora Seco California a preacher preached from the text Jeremiah 31 22 for the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth and many were baptized. John Sheppey spent an entire night in prayer and received the marvelous revelation. And the next day, he went running through the camp, shouting to all what the Lord had shown him. And they were all baptized in the beautiful, lovely name of Jesus. It came simultaneously, the outpouring and and the revelation of the name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some few months ago, a group of several of us ministers stood in a city in the central part of the United States on a particular sidewalk that was different from the rest of the sidewalk for the cement was green tent and it was quite a large section in the downtown area and in this green tented sidewalk was embedded a bronze plaque and this bronze plaque told the story how that in a certain year a certain organization 
that believed in the Spirit but who did not believe in the truth was formed. The total number being present was around 300. But what that bronze plaque didn't say was that there were about 156 who walked out of that meeting while those who stayed were calling, come back, come back. But they couldn't go back because the resolution had just been passed that they believed in three separate gods and that group of 156 walked out saying we believe there's only one God and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah! And we who stood on that green tinted sidewalk that day, can you remember it, brethren? We lifted our hands unashamed and we wept and we thanked God that there were those 156 who walked out and while they were being called back, they said, we cannot come back. We believe that God was in Christ and that the only name of the one God is Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. 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 And the great speckled bird was off and flying. Oh, what a sight. Snow white plumage with a splash of crimson across its forehead and cheeks with a thrilling trumpet-like voice. Hallelujah. And I'm standing behind this pulpit tonight and looking at every one of you in this auditorium and I'm telling you that in spite of what is going on in these last days that have some of us mystified I'm here to tell you that I am dedicated to the keeping and the preservation of the endangered species. Hallelujah! It burns within me. It moves within my soul. I cannot sleep at night. I'm awake early of the morning. I want to know what God wants us to do in these last days. And can you say praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Back in the book of 2 Kings in the 16th chapter, King Ahaz and Israel was being threatened by Syria and war was on the horizon. Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria, not Syria, that's the nation that was coming against them, but to the king of Assyria asking for their help. Ahaz the king sent gifts of silver and gold to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria hearkened unto him 
And finally, Ahaz went to Damascus to meet the king of Assyria. And listen to this. While he was there, he saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of that altar. Now hear me. And the pattern of it according to all the workmanship thereof. And Uriah the priest in the meantime built the altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. And when the king got back home from Damascus, the king saw this finished altar different than the one that he had worshipped at all the time previously. And he approached that altar and offered their own. And the story goes that King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the labor from off them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and just simply put it down on the pavement of stones. Just pushed it aside. You'll have to turn to Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter and the 23rd verse to see the final outcome. For when you read that, you'll see what happened to him because he had a new altar made and he pushed the laver aside and put it on the pavement. For the scripture said in 2 Chronicles, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. And But listen to this, But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. Now, what are we seeing encroaching into our midst and into our ranks? New stars, new altars, beautiful Pentecostal patterns have been laid aside on the pavement while the cry, and here's what they're crying, the cry from freedom from Pentecostal tradition, legalism, and bondage is being heard. They actually get up in services and testify, thank God that I have been set free from Pentecostal bondage. They have pushed it aside and let it just set on the pavement. They think they have found something new. In fact, they'll tell you they didn't have anything before they found what they have now. I'm talking about some of our own. They say that they didn't have anything, but all they have done is come around in a circle back to John Calvin and Calvinism. And they have embraced 
his statements and teachings and one of his most notable ones is this nobody is perfect but they they don't know the meaning of the word perfect or perfection in the scripture it doesn't mean flawlessness it means maturing and maturity but they take the fact that nobody is perfect as an excuse to do what they want to do to sin and it goes the broad spectrum from the clipping of the hair all the way to the place that I have had to deal with men who have taken social drinks stop that's the reason why I'm burning on the inside of me amen what they don't know too is that John Calvin personally saw to it that Servetus who believed in one God was burned at the stake the doctrines that they're embracing it was taught by a man who personally saw that a one God believer was burned at the stake I can't swallow it And I'm about to roll. Hallelujah. Oh, my God. I refuse, and hear me, I refuse to give in to this mounting pressures of worldliness. If you can, I'm not through. Amen. Hallelujah. What has happened to us when we can sit idly by and not rebuke fast eroding morals in the house of God? Mark me as you want to mark me. Do with me what you want to do with me. 
string me up in the morning at six o'clock on the gallows if you please but I refuse hallelujah oh I believe in free grace but not in licentiousness And the word licentiousness means disregarding accepted rules and standards, morally unrestrained. Oh, I believe in the um, imputed righteousness of Christ, but I also believe in the holiness that the holiness of God demands that we touch not that which is unclean. Now I'll confess at times just for a fleeting moment and underline that I think to myself maybe I am the one who is wrong. Maybe these new Christians who can rock and roll and smoke and drink and go back to their old haunts to sing and entertain and perform. Maybe they have seen something in God I haven't seen yet. Maybe all these fast changes aren't really compromise, but maybe it is a sign of maturity and growth. Maybe I am too old-fashioned too out of it to recognize some new thing that God is doing. But it's only for a fleeting moment I scream out immediately, Oh no! Oh no! When I compare these newfangled Christians with all the thousands of God's people over the centuries who forsook the world and all of its associations to take on the reproaches of Christ, I cannot give in. Amen. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Woo. Now, it's true, we need more spirit more freedom of worship I'll be the first one to say that but not at the sacrifice of truth the question is asked why do they have so much going on book of Deuteronomy the 13th chapter and hear it if there arise among you a prophet Talk about it. or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass Oh, 
can they do signs and wonders? Yeah. And the sign or the wonder come to pass wherever he spake unto thee, saying, and it comes to pass, we're going to go after other gods which you haven't known, and let's serve them. This was the commandment given, and the reason why it was permitted to happen. Thou shalt not hearken under the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Why? Because the Lord your God is just proving you to see what you will do. And here you've just about taken off after them, not knowing that the Lord was just waiting to see what you were going to do. Amen. He wants to know whether you love him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then the writer says, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. All right, here they come. They're doing their signs and their wonders and their miracles. And we don't have quite enough spirit moving in our midst. And they've got the spirit, no denying. But you see, it takes both of them. Amen. We who have the truth need to get more spirit. And they that have the spirit need to get the truth. I don't know whether they will or not. I know there's some hungry hearts in the midst of those that are looking for things. But do you know why that sometimes our services are not as liberated as there seems to be? Ours has certainly been liberated in this conference. But Satan doesn't mind the spirit moving. The crowds are the miracles performing if he can allure you away from the truth. So every time we come together with spirit and truth, he comes in to battle us. He's not battling them. But we have what the world needs and he battles us. And then some little old silly willy will take off after those who's got the bigger crowds and the greater shout and the more running and say, I'm going over here. You better not because God is proving you to see whether you love him or not. I got to close. 
You see, he, he, he would like for every one of you right now to sit down on me. I say the Satan would. But I'm not saying that you are, but I'm saying that Satan would like for you to. So that a group could go out of here and say, well, my, my. They're just like an, any old denomination. And they'll take off after the noise. Now, I, I like the noise, and I, that's what I'm saying. We need more spirit, but not at the sacrifice of truth. We can have as much freedom as we will let ourselves have. One Sunday morning in one of our services, and God bless some of my people that are here. They know I preach this way at home. But you know, some, sometimes in a Pentecostal service, something will happen out of order. You ever have it happen? Somebody gets out of order? I tell my people, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. I'm in control. But this one Sunday morning, there was a lady that got out of order, just, just briefly, because I pounced on it right away. Didn't hurt anything. But after the service, a little meek woman, one of our own, came to me and she said, I don't think I can get my husband to come back to service tonight. And he, he has the Holy Ghost too. And I said, and why? Well, he didn't like what went on a while ago. Well, I didn't say anything. I couldn't think fast enough. It takes my good wife to think fast. <laughs> she would have had an answer just like that. But I began a slow burn, and it wasn't indigestion. <laughs> and it burned all afternoon. And late in the afternoon, I didn't have anybody to preach to but my dear wife. And all of a sudden, in the stillness and the quietness, of the den, I jumped to my feet and I said, you, you, I'm talking to you. I said, if some of you and the likes of you would move, We got so many sitting around qualifying shouters. Yeah. We got so many people in our services nowadays that's been in it so long until they can qualify the shouters. They can tell you right quick when somebody is getting a blessing, well, they don't deserve that. And I said, now I want to tell you something. You, you, I know you're qualified. And if you and the rest of them that are qualified to shout 
will get up on your feet and shout, you'll hide all of the disqualified ones and I won't have to handle any situations. And some of you tonight are afraid to make a move because you're afraid that somebody's going to say something about it. And if somebody wants to start shouting right now, woo, somebody would say, well, I know all about them. anybody here tonight just go right ahead amen amen and if there's anybody that gets out of order you're going to hide them anyway we're not going to even pay any attention to anybody that doesn't have the right to shout because we, we we're going to hide them we're going to cover them up amen until we get the spirit and the truth united together amen we'll have the most powerful revival that has ever hit anywhere
Oh, I want to roll so bad. Amen. Here's one rolling right here. Amen, amen, amen. You say, I don't like it. I don't care. Amen. I don't care. I'm tired of this mealy-mouthing around. Amen. I'm so tired of them doing what we are supposed to do. My God, my God, my God. And let go and let God. We are on the verge of the greatest move that we have ever seen. I'd get the 